when you think about evangelism, there are awful lot of questions that people often present to us. Questions that often are designed, I think, to stump us, to make us think about the topic itself. Let me give you a few of them. Maybe you've even heard some of these questions. So, if babies die, do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? Is there really such a place as heaven? Is there really such a place as hell? And what about those people on far, far away islands that have no, anybody won't, no one will ever go to them. They don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have TV. They don't have radio. What about them? How can you even talk about them going to hell? Is Jesus Christ really the only way? Aren't you just being a bit exclusive? Aren't there other ways? I mean, are you seriously going to say that good people, good people are going to go to hell? Many of those questions, I think, are designed to actually stump us and actually potentially say, you know what, maybe this evangelism thing is really not my gig. You know, I really don't want to have to deal with those questions. I really don't want to have to deal with the issue that weighs on my conscience with regard to that. But today, I want us to think about a different question. Today, I want us to think about the question that's the theme of the conference today. What if you had never heard the gospel? Maybe I'd even like to think about changing that a bit. What if someone had never shared the gospel with you? What would that mean for you? What would that mean for you personally? I've got some ideas. I'm sure you do too. Let's go over a couple before we do that. <laughs> I recognize also that when we say that, there's a lot of theology in that. You could even say to yourself, well, if someone hadn't shared, someone else would have shared. Because in the sovereignty of God, after all, I'm a chosen elect person. God would deal with me some other way. I understand that. I know that. But I want you to think with me and I want you to work with me on this because I want the weight of that question to really bear on us so that we respond not just to that but to what the scriptures actually teach us with regard to God's plan for reaching the world. So if someone had never shared the gospel with you, if you had never heard the gospel, where would you be? First thing you could say, John 17, 3 says, eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son whom he has sent. If you had never heard the gospel, if someone had never shared the gospel with you, you would not know God. Nor would you know Jesus Christ. Think about what that would mean. Think about everything that God means to us and Jesus means to us and recognize, I wouldn't know who God is. I wouldn't know Jesus. I wouldn't know Jesus as my Savior. In light of that, you would also be under the dominion of sin. You would be back in that old way of life where you would be a slave to your desires of your flesh and of your mind. You would be alienated from God, dead in your trespasses and sin, and a slave, as it were, to Satan. Wow. Wouldn't know God the Father, wouldn't know Jesus his Son. You would be under the dominion of sin, and you know what would be interesting? You would, you would not even know that. You would think you are free. I can do anything I want. You wouldn't even know and acknowledge the fact that you were a slave. You would not be a child of God. Galatians 4, 4 to 6 talks about us being adopted into the family of God, adopted as sons of God, and placed in that position of being 
adult sons with all of the inheritance rights that go with that, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that would not be your status. You would not be a child of God. You would not be a son of God if you had not heard the gospel, if someone had not come and shared the gospel with you. You would still be trusting your own righteousness. That's where I was. That's 100% where I was. I was a good person. I am trusting my own righteousness, my own benefits, excuse me, my own works, my own efforts to somehow please God. Not even knowing, not even knowing that those works and those efforts do not merit eternal life. Let's keep going. What if you had not heard? What if someone had never shared the gospel with you? You wouldn't be justified. You would not be declared righteous in God's eyes. According to Romans 3, 24 and 25, the status that we have as people united to Jesus Christ, we have Jesus Christ's righteousness declared as ours. You would not be in that position. You would not be justified. Your sins would not be forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. Because that's tied to the redemption that's in Christ. And if you had not heard the gospel, if someone had never shared with you, your sins would not be forgiven. And thirdly, you would not be sanctified. Hebrews 10, 10 to 14 says that we are sanctified once for all time based on the death of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought to recognize our position all tied to the gospel, all tied to hearing that gospel and responding to it. You wouldn't be indwelt by the Spirit of God. You wouldn't be united to Christ and all of the benefits that go with that. You would be on the pathway to hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-7. Yes, there is a hell. We can talk about that some other time. That's one of those questions that we raised at the beginning. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? An eternal place of punishment? There is. And you would be on that path. And you know what? There would be no way for you to stop that. If you had not heard the gospel, if someone had not shared the gospel with you, that's what you would be. A child of wrath. And lastly, you wouldn't be a part of this august body. You wouldn't be a part of the body of Christ. You wouldn't have these brothers and sisters sitting next to you and all the brothers and sisters that, you, that are yours as part of the world. Church. I hope you wrote all those down. And believe me, there's a lot more. Those are the things that just came to my mind as I sat and taught, taught, thought for about two to three minutes. What is it about the gospel that has transformed me? What is it about the gospel, hearing the gospel from someone else and the transformation that God has done in my heart and life. So if that's the case, what did God do? What did God do to ensure that the situation that we just talked about, the condition that we just talked about, that God somehow intervened? Well, we know, don't we? We know what the gospel message is, don't we? We know what the core of the gospel message is, don't we? It's about the person 
of Jesus Christ, who he is, as well as what he has done. It is good news about him. But how does that gospel get heard? How does that gospel get understood? If you had not heard the gospel, what would be your results? Some people would be in great despair. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I can't believe I can't save myself. Some people would be in great fear. You mean I am heading for hell and there's no way I can stop? And some people would be greatly rejoicing. Why? Because they love the darkness. And they love their sin. And they don't want anything to do with the gospel or anything to do with God or anything to do with holiness or righteousness. God has a program. God's program involves us. We have a part to play. It is God's mission to the world, and we have a part to play. God chooses to use flawed, weak, fearful vessels like you and like me to proclaim his message of forgiveness to the world. What a privilege, what a responsibility, what a joy that is that God calls and chooses us, sends us into the world to share and proclaim this message that can bring about a transformation of all the things that we talked about. And all of those truths become a reality when people respond to that gospel. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want us to understand when we talk about God using flawed vessels, weak, flawed, fearful vessels to proclaim his message, to, to, to proclaim the gospel so that people can be forgiven, we can recognize evangelism truly leaves a mark in this world. Evangelism truly leaves a mark in this world. 1 Thessalonians is actually potentially Paul's first letter he ever wrote. And this paragraph actually begins in chapter, verse 2, excuse me, and goes all the way to verse 10. We're not going to look through the whole paragraph. I want you to understand what the paragraph is about, though. It begins there in verse 2 that Paul is giving thanks. He's giving thanks to God, something that Paul does every time he prays. Giving thanks to God for what God has done in the hearts and lives of the Thessalonian believers how he has transformed them and changed them. He says in verse 3, he talks about how their faith and their hope and their love has become active. And it actually produces fruit in their lives, work and trusting in the return of Christ and what that will mean for them. He talks about the election, God's choice of them in verse 4. What I want to pick up is from verse 5 on. Notice all of those changes... The work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, the election comes, verse 5, begins with the word for. Those things are true. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. It didn't, it's not just a message. But it's tied to something else. But also in power in the Holy Spirit. That this message of the gospel transforms people because there's spiritual power behind it the spirit of god is using it that's external but internal there is a full conviction a full confidence 
in the gospel message, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now that last phrase, knowing the kind of men that Paul was, Silvanus and Timothy were, you go down to chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and you figure out what type of man he was. But what we are going to focus on is the front part of that. How did the gospel come to these people? What is this power and the Spirit of God and this full confidence that this message, that this message transforms hearts of people, impacts people? All I have to do is share it. And the Spirit of God uses it. How do we know that takes place? Because he talks about it in the verses below. I'll read through the whole passage now, and then we'll come back and pick it up. Verse 6. You also became imitators, mimics of us and of the Lord, because you received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, with the result that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. What I want you to see primarily here is I talked about this thing that is evangelism leaves a mark, right? Evangelism leaves a mark. I picked that up from verse 7. So that you became an example. You became an example. That word, Greek word example is actually a word that's used to point out, what a, to describe a bruise. And in other ways, it's a permanent mark that people see. It's some sort of transformation that people can point to and say, wow, I see that. There's a visible change. There's a mark on people's lives because of these individuals. Evangelism transforms people. We become a type of what it means to follow God. And notice what that example meant. You became an example. How? Because the word of the Lord, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth. It's echoed forth. It's ringed forth. There's no mum, 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 mumbling about the gospel for these people. They speak it with confidence. They speak it with clarity. Because they saw it in Paul. They recognized what Paul came and how he came. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. It's not just a message. There is spiritual power behind it. There is the spirit of God behind it. There is full conviction that when I preach this word, when I open this word, when I read this word, when I share these verses, God works. God works. I am 100% certain. Paul was certain. And these people mimicked him. They received the gospel in the midst of deep persecution with great joy, with great joy, and that joy so overcame them that they then became examples and sounded forth the gospel so that entire region, Macedonia, an entire region 
Achaia. And in fact, beyond even that, he says, in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. What a joy that would be. Workers show up in an area, oh, we heard about you already. We saw it already. These people have talked about this gospel already. You don't have to share anything. Evangelism leaves a mark. It's a desire on our part to please him. It's a desire on our part to be fitted in to the plan of God. It's a desire on our part to receive this gospel with joy and then to sound it forth with power, with satisfaction, with a recognition and a confidence that it will transform people. It will change people. But there's another aspect of this, and I don't want to minimize that. I don't want you to miss out on that. And that is this. With evangelism comes difficulty and hardship and suffering. When we think about Ephesians 6, we're not going to go there, but Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, we talk about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is most obviously seen when? According to that passage, when? When we share the gospel with people. It isn't necessarily hobgoblins and Halloween in the upper atmosphere and people and demons flying around and stuff like that, seeing these visible things. It's as basic as sharing the gospel with somebody, as I have done, having that person say, wow, this is really interesting, and literally having that person's cell phone go off. And the person says, now where were we again? And I continue on, and the person says, wow, I've never heard this before. And you think, this is great, and the cell phone goes off. And the, person, and the cell phone goes off six times. Six times. And after the third time, I thought, ha, ha, this is spiritual warfare here, folks. Let's pray that the cell phone doesn't work. The battery dies. And got all done with that. And the person basically said, you know what? What you believe and what I believe are exactly the same. And you kind of go, ugh. Spiritual warfare, it's difficult. There's suffering. There is hardship in this ministry. So let's put that in there so that we recognize when you enter into gospel ministry, you do that. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is talking to his protege and he says this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus be strong over and over on a regular basis, continually. Find your strength in Jesus Christ, in the grace that comes from him. Why? Because you're going to be entering into a ministry, a ministry that is transforming people, and Satan is not going to like that. And the world of sin is not going to like that. What is that ministry? Verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them, hand them over to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That verse meant a lot to me in my path to serve the Lord. I want to do that, Lord. I want to obey that, Lord. I want to be involved in that, Lord. But he goes on and he explains a little bit of why the strength is needed. You've given the strength. You've given the ministry itself. Now notice verse 3. Suffer hardship with me. Suffer hardship with me 
as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's great to be together in this, but there's a recognition that as you do this type of ministry, as you share the gospel with people, there is going to be hardship, there is going to be difficulty, and therefore we take on a mantle of a soldier, of a soldier. Paul is going to share with us now three specific points about that. He says in verse 7, think about these things and the Lord will give you understanding. What is it that we're thinking about? Verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If you enter into this ministry, it often involves saying no to other things that will distract you and pull you away such that you won't want to share or won't think about sharing or won't see the opportunities for sharing. You enter into this, you can recognize that as you do this, God is pleased. God is pleased. Christ is pleased. Take on the strength. Recognize the ministry. Be willing to suffer, but recognize the suffering. In the end, the Lord says, praise God. The Lord says, congratulations. The Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He goes on. And he says this in verse 5. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. How does that fit in? It says this, if you want to be involved in gospel ministry, if you want to share with other people, if you want to talk about Jesus to other people, there is a rule. And the rule is this, you will suffer. You will suffer. There is a hardship involved. And lastly, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. There is a reward, folks. There is a reward. You please Christ. Recognize this is a rule. And there is a great reward. So entering into this fully, allowing us to be that flawed, fearful vessel that God wants us to use, evangelism truly leaves a mark in people's lives, a transformation in those, li those people's lives that will lead them to great joy and walking in faith and hope and love but also recognize in so doing, in so doing, there will be hardship, there will be difficulty. Thirdly, thirdly, oops. We need to know our role, and we need to do that role faithfully. Sometimes it's hard for people to do evangelism because I think they take on more than what is really their role. And they begin to think, I just can't do this. How do other people do this? I can't do this. Actually, you can. If you understand your role properly. First role is pray. Excuse me. When I was in seminary, I had been there a couple months, and I went to the library, and I got a little thin book out, about that thin. little thin book. The title of the book is True Evangelism by Lewis Berry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Seminary. And I think, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn how to do evangelism better. I'm going to be better at this. This is going to be fun. And I read the whole book. The whole book. And do you know what the whole book was about? How to pray. True evangelism. How to pray. Paul asks for prayer in different spots of the New Testament. I've given you three of them. 
he asks for the following prayers. He asks, the Apostle Paul asks for, pray that I would have an open door. Pray that I would have open opportunities to share the gospel. The Apostle Paul asks, pray that I would be courageous and bold. The Apostle Paul says, pray that I would be able to make the gospel understandable. And the Apostle Paul says, pray that I would be led to good soil and away from argumentative people. Did you catch all of those? Open door. Make the gospel understandable. Courage and boldness. Lead me to good soil. You know what? You know why Paul asked prayer for that? Because he wanted those people to pray the same thing. You all can pray the same thing. In fact, I would challenge you. Challenge you with this statement. I will guarantee you that if you pray for the next... What day is today? 29th. Let's go with November 1st. Starting on November 1st. Every day you pray those prayers. Lord, give me an opportunity today to share the gospel. And when that opportunity comes, if I don't see it, kind of hit me in the nose and remind me, here's an opportunity. Help me to make the gospel understandable during that time. Give me courage to take the opportunity, Lord. I will guarantee you, in that month, you will share the gospel probably four or five times. I'll guarantee it. Why? Because that's God's will. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to pray because God wants to answer that prayer. That's your first role in evangelism. All of us can do that. All of us can do that. What's our second role? Mark 4, 3. The sower went out. What's the next two words say? To sow. There's an intentionality. There's a desire on the part of people to say, Lord, today I am going out into the world. Lord, make it my intention that today, when you present that opportunity, I want to sow seed. I want to sow the gospel. I will open up a parenthesis here and close the parenthesis quickly. That does mean that we need to know the gospel well. That does mean it's not just some things up in the atmosphere for us. It does mean we need to know verses. It does mean that we need to open our Bibles and share with people. It does mean that we are able to do this well. But there's an intentionality. We pray. When God presents those opportunities, we sow. And then, if the Lord grants, some of us might get the joy John 4, 37 and 38, I sent some of you to sow, others will reap. Some of us might get the privilege of actually seeing somebody in front of us that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with, not realizing that they have been sowed into many, many times before, and all of a sudden that person will say, this is a really cool message. I'd like to trust in Jesus right now. Will you help me? Only two of those, excuse me, only one of those up there is actually a result that we see. And that's part of this issue. I've shared and I've shared, I get no results. That's okay. That's okay. Do your job. 
Anybody who has followed the Detroit Lions these last few years, you have heard the coaches say over and over again on every time they come to a microphone, do your job. Pray and sow. And as the Lord gives you opportunity and rejoicing in being able to see a soul reaped for the harvest. What is not our role? We do not make people believe. We do not force people to believe. We do not manipulate people into believing. We do not offer them something that is not ours. We do not convert people. We don't make people change their religion. None of that is our role. None of that is our job. Our role as a body of believers in Genesis to be the flawed vessel, fearful, weak vessel that God wants to use to proclaim the message, we pray and we sow. All of the rest, all of the rest of the work is God's himself. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's see what Paul says about this himself. The passage is 5 to 9. Let's just look at verses 6 and 7 and 8. I planted, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Hard thought, isn't it? In evangelism, individually, I am a zero. I am nothing. We are nothing. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Are one. We all work together. You all live in this neighborhood. You all have access and opportunity to share with everybody around you. People that you run into at work, people you run into at the store, people you run into at school. And a lot of you are together. One of you gets the privilege of watering. Someone else will get the privilege of planting. But it is God who gives the increase. God chooses, chooses in his mission to reach the world to use flawed, fearful, weak vessels to proclaim his message. So what does this mean for all of us here? Let's be tellers, not bank tellers. Tellers of the gospel. Don't allow questions. The questions that we talked about right at the beginning, those things that are designed to make us feel stumped, that often make us, make us feel like, you know, maybe this gig is not mine. Maybe I just won't share. I really don't want to get into these controversial things. Jesus being the only way. Do I really want to say that in this world? Don't allow those fears. Don't allow doubts. What kind of doubts? You know what a big doubt could be? Just sharing with you. A big doubt is to say, you know, is this really sufficient? 
Is that all that people have to do is really just understand the message? This message alone will save people? Is there a doubt there? Erase that doubt. This message is sufficient. This gospel is sufficient. Don't allow fears, lack of results, lack of results. Those who serve in other places deal with this all the time. They go and they serve for years and years and years and years and years. And all they do is plant and plant and plant or take rocks out of the field and they often leave. I can do better in the States. But that's not what God called us to do. God may call you to remove rocks. God may call you to plant seeds. Don't allow lack of results and that fear, I can't do this. Nothing's going to happen. Don't allow, I don't know the answer to questions. I don't really want to share. Please don't. Share anyway. Pray anyway. And I want you to hear this last one really well. Okay? I don't want anybody to respond today out of guilt. Oh, my, I've never shared the gospel. Ken is telling me I've got to go share the gospel. I feel really guilty now. I better look. I don't want that. God doesn't want that. Not out of guilt. We share the gospel out of great joy, out of great delight, out of great satisfaction in God himself. We are so overwhelmed by what God has done for us, we cannot keep silent. We want others to share. We want others to have this joy. We want others to have this delight. Don't think, oh, we're going to ask this person to leave his sin and he's going to, oh, please. This is the best life in the world. And the goal of this, ultimately, people, is not even the salvation of souls. The ultimate goal of this is that God himself is glorified. God is glorified. He is honored because he is the one who set up this program. He is the one who sent his son. He is the one who uses us. Praise him. Pray and so. Pray and so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this idea that you use flawed vessels like us. Father, if someone had not shared, if Mike Connor had not shared with me, I would be in exactly the type of situation that we listed there at the beginning. And all of us would be the same. Father, give us a joy, a satisfaction, a delight in you that drives us forward, that recognizes we can pray and we can sow. Father, I pray that you would be faithful to these people here as they obey you. In that, we pray in Jesus' name.